Oh God, we are grateful for this book. Uh, and as we, as we read it, uh, as we think about it, um, we pray, Spirit, that you, would, that you would open our hearts and our minds so that, we can, so that we can hear and learn the things you want us to, to hear and learn. Help us to, to grow, transform us, make us new uh, once again. In Jesus' name, amen. If, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, not just a few or some occasions, all of them. Pray on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. We'll go that far because it's the end. We'll stop there. So, <laughs> we've come to the end uh, of the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, for those of you who, who have been here on a regular basis, uh, it's been a fun 11-week ride, uh, hasn't it? As we've sort of, we took a break in the middle, uh, and now we're back, and we're, we're slowly coming to the end of it. Um, so I, I want to give uh, I want to give just sort of a, a bit of context, especially for for those of you who haven't been here uh, for every week. And I want to just sort of tell you where we are uh, in the book. Obviously, we're at the end, uh, but the first part of the book, Paul goes on and on and on. The first three chapters, Paul goes on and on and on about about our identity in Jesus. Because of our connection with Jesus, uh, our identity is now changed. 
uh, we think about things differently. All of the old ways that we previously would define ourselves, we think about them differently. Uh, all of the ways we think about our identities, things like where we work, our family connections, where we go to school, what sort of degree we have, even what team we root for. Uh, we sort of identify with a group of people because of what team we root for, which I think is, is pretty cool and fun. Uh, anyway, all of those ways that we define ourselves, they're now different. They're changed because of our, our connection uh, with Jesus. It's all new. We've become new people. In another letter, uh, Paul says this, uh, or something like this. I'll paraphrase a little bit. Uh, he says, because of our connection with Jesus, uh, we are a new creation. The old is gone. Oh, everything's new. Right? The new has come. And then, so that's the first half. Your identity is now different. You're new. The second half uh, is Paul, Paul talks about how we ought to be in the world. He's basically saying, in light of your relationship with Jesus, this is how you ought to live in relationship with one another. This is how you ought to organize yourselves. This is how you ought to be in relationship with the world. And I think I can summarize the second half of the book, or the letter, uh, in one word. So we spent like five weeks going slowly through the second half of the letter, and I'm going to boil it down to one word. This is how you ought to be with one another. And the word isn't going to surprise you. Does anyone have a guess? No. Love. 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 Love is now the thing that defines you. Love is now the thing that defines your actions and your behaviors toward one another and toward the world. I love the verse in chapter 5. He begins it by saying, be imitators of God, therefore. Oh my goodness. Be imitators of God, Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice uh, to God. Love is the thing that now defines all of your behaviors and actions. Love. So now, we're at the end of this. He said, you're a new people because of your connection with Jesus. This is how you ought to live. And this is now Paul's last opportunity to sort of come at, come at the Ephesians. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see them again. It's likely that while he's writing this letter, he's probably in prison. He doesn't know if he'll ever see them. So this is his last opportunity to come at the Ephesians. This is his last opportunity to sort of rile up the troops, right? And so you would think that since this is his last opportunity to come at the Ephesians. It is his last opportunity to rile up the troops. You would think that he would come at them with something in tone a little bit like this.
Okay, so sound was a little bit off there. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was weird. Okay, <laughs> thank you. But that, that's how you rile up the troops, right? That's how you get them ready. Paul even uses sort of militaristic language, right? He starts talking about armor. It's like we're, we've got this fight ahead of us. There's spiritual forces of evil out there that are huge and strong and uh. That's how you do it, right? So you would expect Paul to come at the Ephesians. He doesn't know if he's going to see them again. So you would expect him to come at them like that, rile up the troops, but he doesn't. No, he doesn't come at them like that. Not even close. Because he knows, he knows that using fear to persuade, he knows that using fear to motivate and manipulate will not get anyone very far along on the way of Jesus. So he doesn't do that. No, he comes at them gently. And he comes at them with a tone that's almost matter-of-fact. He's like, hey, this is how it is. He essentially says to them something like this. May I paraphrase what he says? Would that be okay? He comes at them and says something like this. He's like, look, stand firm. Stand firm. There are spiritual forces of evil that are out there. And they're pervasive. And they're really strong. So stand firm. In fact, he repeats that in some variation four different times. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Well, how do we do that? He's like, put on the full armor of God. Because this is the full armor of God. This isn't about your power. This is about God's power. And this is about the power of community. Right? You're going to need one another. So stand firm. And then he returns back to this idea of prayer. If you're going to stand firm, you're going to need to pray. He begins the letter. So we're going to wrap everything up sort of here. He begins the letter with this long, drawn-out prayer in chapter 1 for the Ephesian church. And now he returns to this idea of prayer. And he says, oh yeah, pray. Pray always. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray always, all the time. Maintain your connection with the divine, which is always available to you wherever you are, whenever you are there, pray, pray, and everything, it's going to be okay. And then at the very end, he's like, yeah, I'm sending my brother Tychicus to you, take care of him, because he's a really good dude. That's sort of my paraphrase of the last little bit, right? So, so should we dig into this a little bit? Paul says, stand firm against the the devil's schemes. And the word there is methodias, which is where we get our word methods, right? Stand firm against the devil's methods, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We love to vilify people, don't we? Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is that all about? That sounds spooky, doesn't it? What is that all about? First, a little bit about what he's not talking about. Okay, he's not talking about all of the individual ways that we like to make a mess of things, what we call sins. He's not talking about our, our individual sins. No, no, he's talking about something different than that. He's, he's, he's got a list that he lists in chapter 5 where he talks about that kind of stuff. And he lists things like sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse language, among all sorts of other things. So he's not talking about that. He's not talking about uh, a red dude with horns and uh, forked tongue and fangs and a pointy tail holding a pitchfork. No, he's not, he's not talking about anything that can be characterized like that. He's talking about something that is much larger and more pervasive than any of that kind of stuff. And I have to tell you that I, at this point, feel woefully inadequate to even begin talking about this stuff because as I began learning, again, it's almost like I got to the point where I'm like, how do I talk about this? I have so much to learn. Like, I don't really know how deep this stuff really is. So I want you to know, at this point, we're just barely scratching the surface here. And my guess is that as I start talking about this, you're going to be like, whoa, I have a whole lot to learn as well. And that's a good place to be, okay? So there's this theologian named Marcus Bart who wrote that in order for us to understand what Paul is talking about here, we have to look at systems. We have to look at infrastructure. We have to look at, uh, we have to look at institutions, right? And it's not that institutions and structures are... Uh, are bad in and of themselves, are evil in and of themselves, but they provide cover for what Paul calls the spiritual forces of evil. Eugene Peterson explains it this way. He says, Paul is calling us to be alert to a kind of evil that, in fact, looks like the good. He's calling us to pay attention to evil that, in fact, looks like the good. And then a little bit later on, he sort of gives us some examples. He says this, He says, the basic good of money is idolized into the god mammon. And then my words, and people can be stepped on because of it and forgotten. He goes on and he says, the basic good of language is debased into lies of propaganda. And people, my words, are manipulated. And then he goes on to say, the basic good of technology is depersonalized into a world of non-relationship. And then my words again, we forget how to act toward one another. We forget how to love one another. It's really easy to sit behind a keyboard and a computer screen and an avatar and treat people in ways that we would never dream of doing in face-to-face encounters. Those are the kinds of things that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about economic systems that are in place in the world that are advantageous for some, mostly the people at the top, and not advantageous to people who are on the middle and the bottom of society. And these, and these economic systems, by the way, have been in place. Like I said, this is blowing my mind. I can barely talk about it because I don't know. But these economic systems have been in place for, for all time. 
ancient Egypt, the Assyrians, Babylonians, the Roman Empire, all the way down to us. He's talking about systems. He's talking about institutions. He's talking about structures. He's talking about systems and structures that are advantageous to people who look like me, especially in this culture, in our world, in this country, white dudes. Oh, we have all the advantages, right? And that aren't advantageous to people who are women and people of color, right? He's, he's talking about those things. He's saying, stand firm against those things. He's saying, pay attention to those things. It's really hard because this is the water in which you swim, and we barely are able to recognize them. So, but you need to stand firm against them. And my question is, oh my goodness, how do we do that? This is so much bigger than I am. This is so much bigger than we are. How do we stand firm against evil like that? Evil that is that pervasive. Evil that actually looks good. How do we stand against that? How do we recognize that? Paul's answer, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. He uses the metaphor of the armor of a Roman soldier. And I think this is really interesting because this is someone they would see as they walked through the streets in the marketplace, they would see Roman soldiers patrolling the area. And so they would have this, these metaphors in their brain, and they would be like walking down the street in the middle of the day. They'd be like, oh, yeah, remember what Paul said? Oh, it's so good. So he, and by the way, all of these things can be characterized as defensive in nature and not offensive in nature. So we're not like going to attack the world here. That's not what Paul is saying, right? He mentions the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, a Roman soldier's boot, which interestingly enough looks like a football cleat. Just Google it. It's awesome. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do we stand firm against the spiritual forces that are so pervasive in the world that are really hard to recognize, that we don't even see them most of the time because it's the world in which we live and the culture in which we swim? What? We put on the full armor of God. Now, at this point, it would be nice and, and, uh, for us to sort of take each of those metaphors one at a time, and that would be really interesting, uh, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> Instead, we're going to talk about one thing. We're going we're to talk about the, the armor altogether as one, right? So, the armor of a Roman soldier, listen to this. The armor of, a Ro- ar- armor of a Roman soldier wasn't necessarily meant to protect individual soldiers, right? What Paul is describing here is the, the Roman panoply. And the Roman panoply was designed to protect an individual, an individual soldier, only so long as they stayed together in their ranks, standing together side by side, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. Got it? So you can picture line after line after line. You've probably seen it in movies where the whole army is standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. And in that way, they're protected. In fact, the Roman soldier's armor was only meant to protect the front of the soldier. So if a soldier broke ranks and went off on his own, his back would be exposed and he'd be out of luck. Look out. So Paul uses this image of a Roman army, of the Roman armor, as they stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and they're 
protected. So the image that we're getting here is, oh, we need each other. We need each other. If we are going to stand against the spiritual forces of evil, if we're going to stand firm, we need each other. Right? We need each other, but, but we don't just need each other. Like, this goes beyond the walls of this room here. We need the whole body. We need all kinds of people. We need, probably most especially, we need people who are different from us. We need people for whom the systems and structures are not advantageous. We need those people. We need the whole body. So if we are to learn about the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world, if we are to learn about the systems and structures and how they operate to disadvantage some, then we need to, to listen to, pay attention to, and privilege the voices of women. If we are to stand firm against these things, these spiritual forces of evil in this dark world, then we need to pay attention to and listen to and privilege the voices of people of color. If we are to stand firm together, then we need to pay attention to and privilege the voices of the poor. So if we want to learn about this stuff, if we want to know about these systems and structures, uh, if you're into learning, then pick up some books or listen to some podcasts that have been created by women. Pick up some books if you want to learn. Listen to some podcasts. This is a place to start that have been created by people of color. Listen to some podcasts. Pick up some books that have been written by people who are on the opposite side of the political aisle if you can stomach it. Right? There's way too much divisiveness happening in this world. Here's the reality. We need each other. We need each other. And probably most especially, we need people who are different than we are. So that's sort of how I think this, this stuff kind of plays itself out in this world, in our time, in our culture. Right? So that's kind of what Paul is talking about. It's like, oh my goodness, this is big and heavy, and we're just scratching the surface, and we don't understand it all, and we would love to learn more. And Paul understands that this is big, and this is heavy, and it's sort of spooky. And so he returns to this idea of prayer. Look, you, you need to pray. He begins this letter with this long, drawn-out prayer for the Ephesian people. And then he ends the letter by saying, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. What? On all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray on all occasions, all kinds of prayers. Be alert Always keep on praying. Pray all the time, every day. Paul's saying, if we're, if we're going to live into this new identity as Jesus people, he's saying prayer is the key. Connecting with the divine is key. Communing with God is absolutely central. 
Now, somewhere along the line, we started to think that that prayer is all about stopping at certain times, like folding our hands and closing our eyes and saying the right words. Right, but prayer is so much larger and bigger and more expansive than that. Prayer can actually become a lifestyle. Prayer is just another way of saying, paying attention to God. Prayer is sort of just another way of saying, communing with the divine. And that kind of thing doesn't just have to happen in a sacred space like this, in a religious setting. No, no. Prayer can happen anywhere, anytime, any place. That's why Paul can say, pray on all occasions, not some, all occasions. Pay attention to the divine. Commune with God on all occasions. Be alert and always keep on praying. What's God saying to me now, here, in this moment? What we're bumping up against here is this idea that there aren't any secular spaces. No, no, no. The whole world is God's sanctuary, and we have access to the divine wherever we are, whenever we are there. It's all sacred. The whole world is sacred. So Paul uses this image of a Roman soldier, and the people would bump up against and rub up against these people patrolling the streets out there in the marketplace during the week. And when they saw them, they would be like, remember what Paul said, stand firm. Here's an opportunity for them to, oh, connect with the divine, wherever we are, whenever we are there, we can pay attention to the presence of God. Now, I'm going to use some words. It's a little long, but they're really good words, so I think you'll like them. They're written by a guy named Richard Rohr, and he's talking about this idea of, of there are no secular spaces anymore. It's all sacred. The whole world is dripping with the presence of God. Listen to what he says. If you accept that the finite manifests the infinite, what? If you accept that the finite manifests the infinite and that the physical is the doorway to the spiritual, which is the foundational principle we call incarnation, then all you need is right here, right now. Right here, right now in this world. This is the way to that. He says, heaven includes earth. Time opens you up to the timeless. Space opens you up to spacelessness. If only you take them for the clear doorways that they are, there are not sacred or profane things, places, and moments. There are only sacred and desecrated things, places, and moments. And it is we alone who desecrate them by our blindness and our lack of reverence. It is one sacred universe, and we are all a part of it. You really cannot get better or more simple than that in terms of spiritual vision. In other words, you can pray always, and everything that happens is potentially sacred if you allow it to be. Our job as humans is to make admiration of others and adoration of God fully conscious and deliberate. It is the very purpose of life. Oh. Our job as humans is to make admiration of others and adoration of God fully conscious and deliberate. It is the very purpose 
of life. That's praying. That's communing with God. That's paying attention to the vine. There are no secular spaces. It's all sacred. Everywhere, whenever we're there, it's all sacred. Look, we're about to celebrate communion together. Right? Ordinary bread. Ordinary cup. We do this together to remember that, look, we're in this life together. We're in this, we share the same table. We sit across from one another. We're in this together. If we're going to live lives living into our new identity as Jesus people, we don't have to wait. We can do it together and we can do it now. In this world filled with spiritual forces of evil that just blow our minds, we can stand firm together right now. We celebrate this supper to remember that in a world that is often really difficult and really hard, and sometimes we don't even recognize the evil in which we participate, in this world, we, we remember in this supper and share it so that we know that God is good and that God is love and that God is ultimately on our side. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for these words, which are larger and bigger than, than we can possibly understand in the moment. But we pray, oh God, that you would teach us that you would send us and surround us with people who can teach us so that we can learn. Uh, God, we want to grow. We want to be transformed. We want to be made new so that we can be your loving presence in this world so that together we can stand firm for the benefit of others. We want to share your love with the world. Teach us how to do that. Amen. As we come to the table, we remember that this is a feast of remembrance, communion, and hope. We come together to remember uh, that Jesus became one of us and gave his life up for us on the cross. We come in communion, remembering that, that God will promise to be with us. Whenever we gather together, we come in hope, hope that, that one day all of the pain and the suffering all of the spiritual forces of evil that we experience to, today, all of that will be finally and fully defeated and God will make the whole thing new again. Right? Jesus, on the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks for it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they had eaten, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. The gifts of God for the people of God come, for all things are now ready.
blood of Jesus shed for you.